Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello, welcome to another edition of Christmas Break Poetry Folder Cleanout, where I bring you some of my friends, my poem friends from through time that have lived in this manila folder for low these many years. The poem I'm going to read to you right now has already been on this podcast. Keith Hansen read it. I'll find what episode and put it in the show notes. But you know what? It's my podcast. And I love this poem, and I wanted to read it, and so I'm going to. You should listen to his read. His voice is so beautiful, and he's probably closer to reading it right, maybe especially since it's a little bit of a man poem. But I think it can apply to many people. Human. It's a human poem. As I mentioned, the podcast has fizzled a little bit because of a very fun teaching endeavor. In the spring, a poetry elective, and then in the fall, a full-on big fat class at a high school near here. A couple of my students let slip that they listen to this podcast. So if you're listening, hello, my dear, and you should probably be reading Moby Dick, shouldn't you? No, I'm just teasing. Um, But I'm thinking of them, thinking of my students, because... Early in the class, it came to me that I wanted to, in Take This Poem style, match make some good poems with each of my six students. There's only six, so it's manageable, right? So as I learned a bit about them and heard their comments and saw what they liked and other things they read, I made a mental note and I wanted to pick a poem for each of them that I had um, thought of specifically for them. So, seems harmless enough. The funny part was that as time went by, I started to become more and more nervous and realize what a really vulnerable thing it was to do, (laughs) Um, how I could go wrong and how difficult it really is to try to do something like that and how much of a, I guess, going out on a limb it is to look someone in the face and say, here, I picked this for you and read it and it's a little nerve wracking. The fun part, though, was we read all six poems and I didn't tell them whose was for which was for whom um they were able to guess at the end and then I did reveal what I thought so um kept a little bit of the intimacy at bay that way but it still ended up being pretty intense there was finally a day in class where I said we're just gonna finish these I can't handle the butterflies in my stomach from stretching this out any longer partly because some poems we read elicited such a strong response of hatred and dismay and disgust from the students and I was really starting to be afraid that one I picked for them would um cause that level of outrage in them and that would be you know awkward It didn't happen. But, okay, this is what I'm getting around to. This poem, What Work Is, by Philip Levine, was a poem that I picked for one of my students. He was probably the most difficult um, to pick for because at that point in the year, I hadn't heard as many words out of him as I had the others. I just had a feeling. It's more of a gut, intuitive feeling that I wanted this poem to be the one that I dedicated to him. 
funnily enough, there were actually several students who I remember telling me that this, of all the poems that we've read so far, was their favorite, was the one that stuck with them the most. And it's one that did that for me. So what a delight to have a poem stick in their craw. That's a poem that's been stuck in my craw for a long time in a good way. This is one of those poems that's in my head and it's a a filter. I see through it. It's Maybe it's a window. I don't know. I have no idea what metaphor to use right now. It becomes part of my way of thinking. It convicts me. It encourages me. Keeps me company in this cold, lonely journey of life. This one I need to read from online. I actually don't have it in my folder. Um, well, I do, but I can't find it. It's in there somewhere. But you don't care. That doesn't matter. What matters is What Work Is by Philip Levine. I'll read it, chat a tiny bit, and read it again. We stand in the rain in a long line, waiting at Ford Highland Park for work. You know what work is. If you're old enough to read this, you know what work is although you may not do it. Forget you. This is about waiting, shifting from one foot to another, feeling the light rain falling like mist into your hair, blurring your vision until you think you see your own brother ahead of you, maybe 10 places. You rub your glasses with your fingers and of course it's someone else's brother. Narrower across the shoulders than yours, but with the same sad slouch, the grin that does not hide the stubbornness, the sad refusal to give in to rain, to the hours of wasted waiting, to the knowledge that somewhere ahead a man is waiting who will say, nope, we're not hiring today for any reason he wants. You love your brother. Now suddenly you can hardly stand the love flooding you for your brother who's not beside you or behind you or ahead because he's home trying to sleep off a miserable night shift at Cadillac so he can get up before noon to study his German. Works eight hours a night so he can sing Wagner, the opera you hate most, the worst music ever invented. How long has it been since you told him you loved him? Held his wide shoulders, opened your eyes wide, and said those words and maybe kissed his cheek. You've never done something so simple, so obvious, not because you're too young or too dumb, not because you're jealous or even mean or incapable of crying in the presence of another man. No, just because you don't know what work is. What do you think is in that poem? that would capture the heart of a 39-year-old mama and a class full of 18-year-old boys. It's got to be something human, right? I have told them stories of times this poem has come to convict me in moments where I realized I was working very, very hard at the drudge, the outward outward drudgery work of life, busting my back up early, up late, working hard, but I would let something pass by that was the real work, 
the kind that meant telling the truth, looking someone in the face, touching them, maybe crying. It just, you know, there have been moments where I have chosen to let that pass. And I've confessed some of those stories to them. Some of them are pretty dramatic. I want to tell you the one about the butcher sometime. Ask me about that one. And this poem is what I think of. I think, Mary, you busy little bee. You don't even know. You don't know what work is. Or you can't get yourself to do it sometimes when the time comes. Sometimes I do. I can tell you some stories about that too. Times where I did. It's not easy. So what's the deal with this poem? What in what is so magnetic about it? I think he captures both work. He uses work to mean two different things and both of them are captured so well. The waiting in the long line, the demoralizing wait to beg someone to do a terrible job because you need the money and to be denied that. He captures that. It's so gray at the beginning, right? So rainy. Detroit, so nasty. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Michiganders. Um, the industrial nature of it, the grim, depressed feeling of it. And in the line, he's suddenly struck with love. I think that's what makes this a, po a poem. I think this is what poets are so importantly good at bringing to us the moments where nothing happens on the outside. No one would be able to see this happening and this man standing in line. But the sudden flooding of love and awareness and knowledge and self-knowledge and conviction and confession, those are big moments for people. Those are soul moments. And he's captured that. Okay, so something very interesting to me that happened with this poem is later in the year, maybe a couple months after we read this poem, we read something else and it was about a bro, it was a Wendell Berry story, part of a excerpt from a novel actually, about two men working together in beautiful unified brotherhood and then a rift forming between them that eventually leads to a fist fight and a driving apart um, and awareness on the part of the one man who'd been the boss that he couldn't ask another man to do the sort of hopeless work that he'd asked of this one. Um, it's a great epiphany moment. I cry every time I read it. Anyway, I asked them, we're trying to do some writing, to write a miniature essay that compared that poem, that, I'm sorry, that story with anything else we've read in class, any essay, any part of the textbook, any scripture passage, any poem, whatever, just compare it to one other thing. And two of the six, which is a third of the class, I'll do your math for you, compared it to this poem. And they used this poem as an example of an awareness of somebody else's humanity, an awareness of what the work of love is and how to do it. And the other story as an example of someone who failed at that. Now, 
What fascinates me about that is this poem is a confession that this person didn't do this. <laughs> he hasn't actually told his brother he loves him and touched him. He's just thinking that he hasn't and becoming aware of that and telling us about it, confessing to us. I feel less alone knowing that the speaker of this poem has also at times realized he doesn't even have a clue what work is or he hasn't found a way to do it. But the epiphany of this is so beautiful and so um, redemptive that people leave this poem believing they've seen an example of someone doing that real work of love. Do you get what I'm saying? He hasn't. But this teaches us how. This teaches us what is. What is good? What is the thing that if we did what we should, we would do? We see it here. So it doesn't matter to some extent that the speaker didn't even do this. He was able to give us the vision of it. And so it endures and is an example of what to do. How to love. How to work. And that's how it endured in my student's mind. I thought that was fascinating. I need to think more about that though. Maybe that that's just a work that art can do. And it's a way, I think for the poet, if this is a chronic failure in his life, it's a way to redeem it and make it not a lesson, not a how-to for people who read it, like, do better than I did, kids. I don't mean it like that in a preachy way, but a vision of what could be. An awareness has to be worth something. A full, sudden, struck in the soul with awareness of, of conviction. I think that has inherent value when someone's willing to share it, willing to confess it, and in a, a masterful artistic way, like Levine does here. I love how this poem builds toward the end with the repetition. In general, this is a really prosy poem. It's all one stanza with kind of short lines. There's some interesting enjambment that you probably, some of the poetic elements don't come through when I'm reading. But I think toward the end, you you can hear it and feel it, right? Um, he gets into repetition that builds to the climax of repetition, which him repeating the phrase, what work is. Okay, I'm going to read this one more time. Here we go. You ready? You ready to let it get all the way into you this time? What Work Is by Philip Levine. We stand in the rain in a long line waiting at Ford Highland Park for work. You know what work is. If you're old enough to read this, you know what work is although you may not do it. Forget you. This is about waiting, shifting from one foot to another, feeling the light rain falling like mist into your hair, blurring your vision, until you think you see your own brother ahead of you, maybe ten places. You rub your glasses with your fingers, and of course it's someone else's brother, narrower across the shoulders than yours, but with the same sad slouch, 
the grin that does not hide the stubbornness, the sad refusal to give in to rain, to the hours of wasted waiting, to the knowledge that somewhere ahead a man is waiting who will say, no, we're not hiring today for any reason he wants. You love your brother. Now suddenly, you can hardly stand the love flooding you for your brother, who's not beside you or behind or ahead, because he's home, trying to sleep off a miserable night shift at Cadillac so he can get up before noon to study his German. Works eight hours a night so he can sing Wagner, the opera you hate most, the worst music ever invented. How long has it been since you told him you loved him? held his wide shoulders, opened your eyes wide and said those words and maybe kissed his cheek. You've never done something so simple, so obvious. Not because you're too young or too dumb. Not because you're jealous or even mean or incapable of crying in the presence of another man. No. Just because you don't know what work is. I have another little poem. It's a love poem. I found it in this folder and I'm going to read it right now. I'm going to read it once. A love poem is not an easy thing to write. Many of them might be fun to read if you're in that exact moment, but in general, there's a lot of pitfalls, a lot of room for sentimentality, a lot of room for purple fluff that personally doesn't appeal to me on the aesthetic level. I want to, I want to, I want it straight. I want straight talk. I don't want it romantic. And I actually managed to find this little poem, little sonnet-sized poem. Someone brought it to a poetry group a couple years ago. It's by Ada Limon, who has since become the Poet Laureate of our nation. I like this love poem. It's got horses in it. It's got mammalness in it. It's got birth and laughter and just the beautiful, surprising feeling of a vigorous, healthy love. It's called What I Didn't Know Before. I think I already said this. I'll just read it once. Listen up. What I Didn't Know Before by Ada Limon. What I didn't know before was how horses simply give birth to other horses. Not a baby by any means. Not a creature of liminal spaces, but a four-legged beast hell-bent on walking, scrambling after the mother. A horse gives way to another horse, and then suddenly there are two horses, just like that. That's how I loved you. You, off the long train from Red Bank, carrying a coffee as big as your arm, a bag with two computers swinging in it, unwieldily at your side. I remember we broke into laughter when we saw each other. What was between us wasn't a fragile thing to be coddled, cooed over. It came out fully formed, ready to run. 